0: I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 9. There is a a little green insert you should have gotten on the way in. There is the sermon text there on the back side. There's also a sermon outline that you can follow along if you'd like to. I'm going to read this morning Acts 9 from verse 32 to verse 43. And just as you're finding your place... Remind you that Luke is writing a two-volume work, his Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And he's writing about all that Jesus began to do in the gospel and all that Jesus is continuing to do through the apostles in the book of Acts. And his purpose is that we might have certainty about the things that we have heard. If you were to flip back over to chapter 8 and verse 40, you would read there at the close of... The little experience between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, we see there, the Bible says in 8 and verse 40, but Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. If you were ahead from Jerusalem, directly west, out to the coast, and just slightly south, you would wind up Azotus. If you would go from Azotus all the way up north along the coast, you would go right through Lydda and Joppa, which is where these two stories we're going to consider this morning are found. Luke records uh, Philip's moving and travel and preaching. And then he records in chapter 39 and verse 1 to 31, Saul's conversion and his early ministry and how the Lord saved him. He began to preach the gospel. And then in verse 31 we read, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. And see there how God is working in his church. The persecution has ended. Peace is kind of settled, and the disciples, the apostles back in Jerusalem, are now beginning to move out and travel around to different places. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 32. And the Bible says, Now as Peter was traveling through all these regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years, for he was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, get up. And make your bed. And immediately he got up. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. And when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was still with them. And Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise! And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner—sorry, in Joppa with a tanner whose name was Simon. And we trust God will have blessing to the reading of His Word. How do we understand healing and miracles? Do we take the televangelist approach, the faith healer approach, as true? We have a Bible and we have the Spirit of God to help us understand and interpret all we see, the reality of what we're seeing on TV, among other things. The topic of our text is healing and miracles, But the main point of our text, I would argue, is something different. We're going to see that at the end. But from this text, I want us to gain an understanding of what the Bible teaches about miracles and healing. Does God heal? Does God heal everybody? Who has the power to heal? What is God's purpose and what is God's point in bringing healing? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're sick or struggling, and you desperately want God to heal you, or maybe it's a family member, or maybe it's a friend, maybe you're wondering, should I pray for healing? And the answer, of course, is yes, absolutely you should pray for healing. Should you go see a faith healer? And my answer is emphatically, no, you should not go and see a faith healer like you see on television. What I want us to see from Acts chapter 9 and those verses 32 to 43, is that the people of God, the people, sorry, that God sovereignly includes in healing and miracles. I want us to see the power that God displays in healing and miracles, and I want us to see together the purposes of God that He intends in those healing and miracles. But beyond that, What I want us all to do as we consider the Scripture this morning is be amazed, be in awe again of God. It's God who is doing these things. It's God who sovereignly uses whom He chooses. It's God's power at work to bring healing, and it's God's purposes that He intends through those healing moments. So I want us to consider first the people God sovereignly includes or uses for the healing And miracles. Once you notice, those three people are there, Peter, Aeneas, and Dorcas. And God sovereignly chooses the means and the mediator that He uses to bring healing. Peter is the transformed apostle. And if I could just give a little time out for a second on on the sermon. Great study. Go back to all the Acts or all of the Gospels and look at the character of Peter and what he's like. And then you see the cross... You see Pentecost happening, and then look at Peter's life after that. He's a totally transformed person. He's a totally changed man because of the ministry of Christ, because of what Christ has done in his life. Now we see him here, a humble man. He's kneeling to pray in verse 40. We see a man who is Christ-like, imitating Christ's words as he prayed. If you go back to Luke chapter 8 and verse 54, we would see Jesus there, and he takes a little girl's hand and he says to her, her Talitha kume, which is exactly the same words that Peter uses here, only he says, Tabitha kume, Same words exactly. One single letter is different. If you go to the spot where uh, Jesus uh, commands a paralytic man to stand up, and then you look at what Peter says to Aeneas here, it's almost exactly the same thing. He's basing his ministry on what he has seen the Lord doing. So Peter is a humble and a Christ-like man. He's also a Christ-exalting person. Look at this story here. If ever there was a temptation to make yourself big and to make yourself more important to everybody around you, you could say, look what I have done. I have raised Aeneas. And now he walks and brings out Tabitha. And look what I have done. I've caused her to be alive. But no. He actually says, Aeneas, Jesus heals you. In praying, in kneeling down beside that body in the bed and praying, he's making it clear through the words of Luke and the book That it was Jesus who did this. He's making Jesus exalted. He's lifting up Jesus' name in all that he's doing. So first of all, God sovereignly chooses the means and the mediator. But secondly, God also chooses the recipients of healing. A little interesting study. I started comparing Aeneas and Dorcas and looking at what they're like and what they're unlike. For example, Aeneas is not identified as a believer, a saint, or disciple. He's simply a paralyzed man who's living there at, uh, at Lydda. But Dorcas is a very, very clearly a disciple. She's a saint. She's faithful. She's busy. Aeneas is paralyzed, inactive, confined to a bed. But Dorcas was active and busy, making clothes, supplying for the widows and the needy. Aeneas is healed publicly, but Dorcas is healed in private. Aeneas is alive and Dorcas is dead. So you say, what's the point? The point is it had nothing to do with their individual personal circumstances that they were chosen for healing. God sovereignly chose the recipients of that healing and that miracle for His purposes. And we're going to see why in the end. But there's something else that struck me here. You notice that after they were both healed, they didn't gather all the sick and all the the paralyzed and all the blind and the lame and bring them all to Peter so he could heal them all one after the other. You're saying there was nobody else in all that region that was sick? Nobody else in all that region that needed to be healed? Almost certainly there was. And it brings up a very important point for us to understand, especially when we listen to what some of the faith healers And some of those who follow that kind of ministry emphasize. You will hear it a lot. Well, you know, if you have enough faith, you too can be healed. You know, when you read through the Gospels and look at all the subjects of healing that Jesus chose, many of them weren't even believers. They were different people that he chose for his own purposes. But notice this. God sovereignly chooses... Sorry the recipients of His healing, but He also sovereignly chooses who not to heal. Difficult point. But in John chapter 5 and verse 3, Jesus goes to those who are gathered by the pool there. And there's a whole multitude, the Bible says, that were sick and blind and lame and withered, all waiting for the moving of the water so they could be healed. And how many does Jesus heal? One. The rest are all left there. Go to the book of Acts, in chapter 19 and verse 11, you see there how God, uh, Paul and his company of people, they're in Ephesus, they're traveling, and there's a whole lot of healing going on. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, <clears throat> Sorry, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. And you know, if you were Paul's traveling companions, you might think to yourself, now, that's a medical plan for the company. If we get sick, we'll just take uh, Paul's handkerchief, wipe his brow, lay it on the spot, presto, we'll be healed. you know what the Bible describes for us? The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 23 that Timothy has a stomach ailment and God did not miraculously heal Timothy through Paul. You go to 1 Timothy that's 5 and verse 23 and 2 Timothy 4 and verse 20. Trophimus, also a friend and traveling companion of Paul, he was left behind because he had a grave illness, but that grave illness was not healed by Paul. You go to Philippians 2, verses 25 to 30, and you see there Epaphroditus was gravely ill. Why didn't Paul just go and heal Epaphroditus and get everybody up and keep moving to the next spot? Surely, Their mission purposes would have been solved and resolved, helped, maybe better said, if he had healed those traveling companions. But God did not heal Epaphroditus by some miraculous means. He did experience some form of healing and recovery, that's true, but not a miraculous one. What about 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10? Paul himself has a thorn in the flesh. Now, I know there's a lot of debate about what that thorn in the flesh means, but the majority would say it's a physical ailment that Paul has. And Paul goes to the Lord three times and asks that, that thorn in the flesh be removed. But God, for His sovereign purposes, did not remove that thorn in Paul's flesh. And Paul had to endure it. And one of the greatest statements about suffering is given to us there. He says in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, He, that's Jesus, said to Paul, My grace is is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And brothers and sisters, a really difficult point to understand about healing is that God sovereignly chooses some to be healed, and God sovereignly chooses many not to be healed. You say, you know, it's nice for you, you're a healthy, fit, well, close to fit, active 50-year-old Easy for you to talk about like God sovereignly chooses and doesn't. What about those that are struggling with wheelchairs? Those who are struggling with on-term, long-term, painful illness? The only answer, the best answer I can possibly give is this, that we know, Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purposes. We know that God uses illness and suffering and sickness for all sorts of purposes. Maybe to work in us a deeper faith. Maybe God has something in mind and leaving you there, you think, well, that just doesn't sound very nice. You know what? There are millions of people all over the world who understand and know help during difficult suffering with paralysis. Uh, If a girl back in the summer of 1969, I think it was, who dove into shallow waters at a beach in California, if she had been healed, nobody would know about Johnny Erickson Tata and nobody would know about the work that she does to help those people in serving the Lord in all sorts of capacities. My two little nephew, or not little anymore, more, they're in their 30s and more, my nephew and niece, both in wheelchairs, have met her and have been helped by her. And God chose sovereignly not to heal that paralysis, even though she for a time wrestled with that whole idea of whether or not God should or could heal her. And we're absolutely convinced that God could heal. But God, for His own purposes, sovereignly chooses some to be healed and some not to be healed. But brothers and sisters, I want you to know something else here. God sovereignly will heal all of us in a day to come. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 to 44, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown, a perishable body, it's raised and imperishable body. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory, it's sown in weakness, it's raised in power, it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. Listen, every single one of us, in a day to come, is going to be given that imperishable, glorious body. That's hope. Brothers and sisters, whatever we struggle with physically, in the physical infirmities, and one of the effects of sin... Is sickness. That doesn't mean because you're sick that you're in sin. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is one of the overall influences, carry-on effects of sin in this world is sickness and suffering and pain and disease. All those things. But in a day to come, in a great day to come, when we're caught up to be with the Lord and the work in us is totally finished, we will be given an imperishable body. I'm fifty-two. And I can feel the perishable thing is, you know, know, grinding down. The use-by date on the back of my head somewhere is getting closer to my age. There's coming a day when this body is going to get too old and too sick or whatever to work if the Lord doesn't return. But there's also coming a day... When every one of us will be ultimately healed in and for all of eternity. We will have eternal bodies with no pain, no sickness, no disease. And God sovereignly blesses various ones with healing to give a tiny foretaste of what is coming. But if God chooses not to heal us in life, in this life, be encouraged. Be absolutely assured from Scripture that God will heal all. It is God who decides, not us. It's God whose power is being displayed, not man's. It's God's purposes for why He heals some and not others. So let's move on to the second. The power God displays in healing. I want you to notice in verse 34, as Peter is speaking, he says, Aeneas. Jesus Christ heals you. He makes it clear it's the power of God to heal him. In verse 40, the very fact that Peter is described kneeling down and praying shows his humility and his recognition that it's God and God alone that can heal. The power to heal and the power to perform miracles belongs to God and God alone. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 15... You may remember the story after they've come out of Egypt, after they've gone through the Red Sea, they're going out into the desert and they're all thirsty and God brings them to a set of springs. But the problem is the water is bitter. And so Moses takes this particular kind of tree and he drops it into the water and the water becomes sweet. And this is what God says. If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes I will put none of the diseases on Egypt on you which I put on the Egyptians for Here's the explanation I the Lord am your healer There's only one with the power to heal it's Lord the Lord himself Psalm 103 The Bible says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons your iniquities and who heals all your diseases. It's God's power and God's power alone that can heal. If you go back over in Acts chapter 3, remember the story. Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray at the hour of prayer. There's a man sitting outside or lying outside the temple gates. He can't go in. Why? Because he's lame. And he sees Peter and John coming, and I can almost see him going, hey, two guys, maybe I'll get double the handout. And he puts his hand out for an arm. And what's Peter say? Silver and gold have I not, or have I none. But what I give, I give freely. Freely. And he tells him to stand up and walk. And the layman immediately receives strength in his ankles and his feet. And he leaps up. Can you imagine? Poor guy, right? He's never walked in his life. And in a moment, in a split second, he receives perfect healing. And it's instant and complete. And he leaps up and he's leaping and walking. Can you just see him trying out his ankles for the first time? He's 40 years old maybe. He's walking around checking those ankles. How do they work? And everything's going great. And Peter gets a great crowd around. What's he do? He says, listen, on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom, whom you see and know. In other words, nothing to do with us. The power to heal this man is all in the Lord our God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. God and God alone heals miraculously. It happens. Healing in that case is instantaneous, it's complete, and it's permanent. There's no going back for a redo. Uh, I have a friend over at uh, Village Church, Manny Sukantha, and he told me this story years ago. He, I think it was him, or perhaps it was somebody he knew back in India when he lived there, and he worked in a hospital, and there was a man who used to come in and get help and treatment and so on, and one day he came in and told Manny that... or the guy in the story, that there was a faith healer coming to town. He was going to get healed and everything would be great, and he was going off to get healed. And so on the right day, he went off, and Manny said he was gone for about a week. And then he came back in, and he came back in limping because the, the foot that was all the problem all of a sudden had a problem again. And Manny sort of asked him, what happened? Well, the healing kind of wore off. <laughs> and he just kind of smiled and shook his head. Yeah, okay. And the reality is, all through the Bible, when you see that God heals miraculously, it's instantaneous. This man, the lame man, Ananias here, he stood up. It was done. It was complete. There was no follow-on therapies, no follow-on doctor visits. It was complete. It was permanent. Those that Jesus gave sight to saw for the rest of their lives. Those that Jesus gave hearing to heard perfectly for the rest of their lives. Those that were cleansed of leprosy were cleansed for the rest of their lives. And God alone has the power to hear miraculously. And Aeneas here, he never went back to being paralyzed again because it was the power of God at work on him. But I want you to know something else here. We put a great emphasis on on the miraculous. But the reality is also true that God and God alone heals medically and normally. God heals through medicines. God heals through therapies and surgeries and procedures and treatments. God uses both men and doctors, sorry, not men as in male, mankind and doctors and medicines as instruments. And God alone heals. So why is it that every medicine doesn't result in a healing? Uh, I was prescribed a heart medication, a blood pressure medication, and it's supposed to work within 24 to 48 hours. Well, after a number of years of taking this and no change whatsoever, I went to a different doctor, which I should have done years ago, and the doctor goes, you taking these? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, it's supposed to work within 24 hours. I said, I took them for a month straight and nothing. He said, well, they're never going to work. He tossed them over his shoulder. He said, you need different medication. Gave me different meds, and all of a sudden, everything is about more normal. Listen, God works through medicines, and God sovereignly chooses when to heal. And when he does, that healing happens. I cut my fingers off uh, 15 years ago now, put them in a woodworking machine. I still get the heebie-jeebies whenever I think about it. And I went to go to the doctor, and he took the needle and he thread, and he sewed up my fingers after he pulled all the bits of bone and nail and everything out of there, and he sewed them all up, and he's chatting away as he's doing it. And as he put the the stitches in there and sewed my fingers back together, and they came out pretty good, uh, you know what's happening? God was at work. Because a doctor can put a stitch in, but only God can make the flesh come back and knit itself back together. A doctor can give you a medication, a a prescription, but it's God who works to take that prescription and make it effective. Why is it that chemotherapy and cancer therapies in some cases work and in some cases they don't? Because God for His sovereign purposes, God who has the power alone to heal, sometimes brings healing from those procedures and those treatments, and sometimes for God's purposes, God chooses not to. How do we handle that? We trust God that He knows what He's doing. We, did we stop praying? No. <laughs> we keep praying, but we trust God that He knows what He's doing. But listen, the point is this. The power is God's and God's alone to do the healing. The power to heal is God's, not man's. And you can say, hold on a second. Wait a minute. What about 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 9 that says that He gives gifts of healing? Well, if we understand the, the spiritual gifts properly, we understand that we are simply channels or vessels or tools that God uses and His power is at work through us, whether, whatever the gift might be. In the case of healing, it's still God's power working through God's chosen means to bring that healing about. It's always God's power that's at work. So we pray for God to heal and we accept with thanksgiving whatever means He chooses and uses and even at times when He chooses not to bring healing. Moving on. The purpose. The purpose of God that He intends in these healings. I'm going to expand to say healings and miracles. When you read these stories in 32 down to 43... The temptation is to think the main point of the whole story is that two people got healing. One was healed from paralysis and one was raised from the dead. And I'd argue that's not the main point of the story. Not at all. Notice what it says in verse number 35. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Notice what it says down in verse 42. And it, that's uh, Tabitha's raising, became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. What's the biggest wow factor in that whole story? Both of those stories, that Aeneas got paralysis healed, or many turned to the Lord? And I'd argue the main point of the story is not that Aeneas' paralysis was healed, but that God used that for His purposes and drew the attention of those people to the healing power of God that was available in Christ. And they didn't come for healing, they came to be saved. And I would argue, brothers and sisters, that the purposes of God in healing in miracles in Scripture is not... It's not to create a lucrative healing ministry for some televangelist in Southern California or Florida. It's not that, but it is 2 or I'd say three things. Number one, God's purpose is to authenticate a gospel message. And secondly, it's God's purpose to illustrate gospel truth. And thirdly, it's a tiny foretaste of what is coming in eternity. So what do we see here? The healing of Aeneas authenticated Philip's gospel message. And by the way, while Peter's traveling around, I don't think he was on a vacation tour. I think he was traveling around, visiting all those churches. I think he was preaching and teaching and ministering, meeting with elders, doing whatever he could to help that church. He was a shepherd at heart. And so I believe, without any hesitation, even though it doesn't say so in the text, that he's traveling around, he's preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ. And Philip's already gone through and preached the gospel of Christ. And now this great miracle happens and everybody's made to know it's Jesus who healed Aeneas. So the Jesus who is the gospel, who the gospel is about that we've been hearing about, he's the one who brought that healing. And that healing authenticated the gospel message of Philip and it illustrated a gospel truth. And I want us to see in several places what those truths are. So take your Bibles and flip back to Luke chapter 4. Luke 4, and we'll look at verses 31 to 36. We're going to look at five examples. You didn't want to go home this afternoon. Stay here with us. It's more fun. Luke 4 and verse 31 to 36 The Bible says that Jesus came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching and his teaching or his message was with authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, "'Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God.'" But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And when the de- demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he, be- he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands unclean spirits, and they came out. Notice their focus is on Jesus' message. Listen, Jesus' teaching in Capernaum was authenticated by Jesus casting out that demon. And it illustrated a great spiritual gospel truth that Jesus has power over demons and darkness. They had to obey Him. That He was God, they were simply a demon. And it authenticated His message and it made a point to them that Jesus has power over evil and darkness. Take your Bibles and flip to Matthew. Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. The Bible says that when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him, and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. What's the point? Jesus has just finished giving his great sermon on the mount. He's just finished giving all of his disciples that kingdom ethic by which they are supposed to live, by which we are supposed to live. And what's the greatest hindrance to living that kingdom ethic? Sin, right? And so as Jesus is coming down from the mountain, all the crowds are falling and they're listening to him, looking at him, what kind of guy is this? This message he's given is so powerful. And all of a sudden he comes up and he does the most unthinkable thing in their culture. He touches this leper. And in their culture, they understood that leprosy would contaminate the toucher. But he, being God, could take. And as he touched him, his holiness cleansed the leper. It worked the other way. And Jesus' teaching was authenticated by this man being uh, cleansed of his leprosy. And a great illustration was given that Jesus has power to cleanse from sin. That's a gospel truth. So those miracles that were given and being done, did he heal everybody in a crowd? No, he healed one man because he was making a point. In Luke 5, You know the story well. The four friends bring their paralytic friend. Luke 5, verses 17 to 24. Jesus is in a house in Capernaum, and he's teaching. And these four friends hear that Jesus is there, and they get their fifth friend. They put him on a stretcher, and they carry him through the streets. And they get to the house, and they can't get in. They can't get around because the crowds are all packing out the house. And they do the most obvious thing to them. They go up on the roof some shovels and some picks, and they dig a great big hole in the roof. And as they're teaching, all of a sudden stuff starts falling in, and then this great big stretcher comes lowering down, and they put the paralytic man right in the middle of all of them. And Jesus sees the faith of the five men, and he forgives sin. See, all the chief priests and Pharisees, oh, just a moment, who do you think you are? Who is he claiming to forgive sin? And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, He says, He looks at them and says, um, in Luke chapter 5, Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And Jesus there authenticates His teaching by performing that miracle, and He illustrates a tremendous gospel truth that Jesus alone had power to forgive sin. The miracle served a purpose, authenticating His teaching and illustrating a great truth. Back in our passage of Acts chapter 9, Philip has preached the gospel shortly before all this happened. Peter comes through and he declares Aeneas healed by Jesus. And a miracle authenticated Philip's gospel message of Jesus' power to save. And the miracle illustrated a tremendous gospel truth that Jesus has the power to transform lives. Even Peter standing there in front of them who once denied Peter, the great foot-and-mouth disciple, always sticking his... I like Peter. I can identify with Peter. But here he is, an absolutely changed man. And as he declares this Aeneas to be healed, he shows everybody in the room as Aeneas gets up and his life is completely and forever transformed because of the power of Jesus at work in him. And that illustrates a great gospel truth that the power for transformed lives comes through God and through God alone as we come to Him for forgiveness of sins, as we're filled with His Spirit and we go out and live new lives in Christ. But the purpose that God had in that miracle was to authenticate Philip's gospel message and to illustrate a great gospel truth that Jesus has the power to transform lives But there's one even more. In Acts chapter 9, verses 40 and 41, Peter prayerfully speaks, and God raises Dorcas from the dead. And the miracle authenticated again Philip's gospel message, but it illustrated a greater truth than even the first one. It illustrated the truth that Jesus has power to make the dead live. There is no other power which we can be made alive, Then in Christ and in Christ alone, there's no other one that can do, deal with our sin, can reconcile us to God, can transform our lives, but beyond all that, to make us who are spiritually dead, to be alive in Christ. And the purpose of those miracles was to authenticate teaching and illustrate great gospel truths. The wow verses of the whole text. Or as R.C. Sproul says, the drama of the text is not in the fact that Aeneas was healed and Dorcas was raised. The the drama of that whole text, the whole story is that hundreds and perhaps thousands heard what God had done and turned in belief to the Lord. Because the reality is that God is far more interested in saving souls for eternity than healing bodies for time. By the way, I didn't say that God's not interested in saving or healing bodies, but I said His interest is more in saving souls for all of eternity. God's greater purpose is always eternal salvation and the glory of His name. The healing and miracles give us a foretaste of what will happen, the perfection of eternity. I have a friend, sort of have her, Uh, she died about... Ten years ago now, name's Heather. Uh, we were friends before I left to go back to Canada, way back in the '80s. I came back here, and she was riddled with cancer. And uh, they'd already buried her daughter at 16 from the same thing, lung cancer. Terrible. I'll tell you, without one moment's hesitation, my friend Heather is in heaven. And if you knew Heather, you'd know the humor of this. She's organizing the angels and telling everybody what to do. She was known for that in a good way. But she's absolutely perfected. Her body will never and ever again know the the trauma and the weariness of chemotherapy and all that other stuff that they pumped her body full to try and fight the cancer. God's greater purpose in those miracles is not bodily healing for time, but healing and saving souls for all of eternity. So, brother and sister, the question comes up, well, then, why don't we see more genuine, miraculous healing? We certainly see lots of fakes, right? You flip on, I'm going to say it, you flip on Kenneth Copeland or some of those guys on TV. I got to, sorry, pardon me for saying this, but I have a particular dislike for a man who is worth $760 million, American, wealthiest pastor in America, and he does it by stealing money from people who want to get healed. To me, it's just an absolute... I I can't even express it. But listen, why don't we see more genuine, miraculous healing? The reality is the gospel truth no longer needs that authentication of a healing because now we have the authentication of gospel truth in God's finished, complete Word of God. This is all we need to authenticate what God is doing, to understand what God is doing. Gospel truth is illustrated now by a great history of transformed lives and even changed cultures because of the gospel. So we don't need that so much anymore. Does that mean that God doesn't heal miraculously anymore? I did not say that. Because God does at times heal miraculously. So having said all of this, What do we do with it all? What what, do we as Noble Park Baptist Church living here in 2022, what do we take away from all of this? Number one, be amazed at God who heals all our diseases. Be amazed at God who is our healer. And whether we receive healing in this life or at the beginning of the next life, every single one of us is going to be healed. We're going to have glorified, imperishable bodies. One day, I'm going to be skinny. There it is. Eternity, if not sooner, right? God's going to deal with that. I hope. Maybe He won't. But you know what? Be amazed. Stand back in awe and wonder of a God who heals. He does it medically, and He does it miraculously. But God alone is the one who heals all our diseases. If you're struggling and suffering with illness or some long-term effects, cry out to God in prayer for healing. Don't stop. You say, you know, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, but God didn't heal my situation. You know what? God works in His own time, in His own circumstances, His own purposes. He may not heal you today. He may not heal you for 20 years, but God in time will heal you, whether it's eternity or in this life. Cry out to God. At the same time, accept that for His sovereign purposes, when He heals you, how He heals you, and, brother and sister, if He heals you. And the very same token, I love that verse in Romans 8 and verse 28 that says this. We know, if I could could say it this way, I'm convinced... That God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purposes. And you say, it's easy for you, man. You don't have any long-term illness or suffering. And my only answer is, I don't yet. And I might one day. And you can remind me of this when that happens. A cry out to God in prayer for that healing. Trust God, it's His decision to heal you or not, and it's for your good and for His glory. Remember this, brother and sister, wherever we are in this process, whatever situation we're going through, whether it's a friend or family or loved one that's dealing with a terrible illness, God will heal believers ultimately. For all of eternity. And last night I was laying down and going to sleep and I started thinking about what eternity would be like. I thought about forever. And I thought about beyond forever and my mind just started to do circles and I started to hurt because I couldn't comprehend the idea of a never-ending perfection around Christ's throne worshiping Him forever. Does that remove the, the physical pain of this life? No, it doesn't. Does it make it easier? Yeah, I'm convinced it does. We recognize that God is working. God is using you in that circumstance, whether it's a wheelchair or whether it's pain medication or whatever it is, God is using that, convinced of it, for your good and for His glory. Trust the Lord. Keep going. Know with a certainty that a day to come that work in you both spiritually and physically will be completely finished. What a great hope we have, Hey, eh? Whether we know healing in this life or not, we have a tremendous hope in Christ. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray and then close with a benediction. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we come before You this morning. We continue, O God, before You. And Father, we praise You and we thank You that it is Your sovereign choosing of who to heal, the means of healing, whether it's miraculous or medical or normal. Father, You are the one working behind the scenes to bring that healing. Father, we thank You for the great truth of Colossians 1 that Christ sustains all of creation. He is providentially caring over all His creation, including our physical bodies. And Father, we thank You that You indeed are our healer. Father, we thank You, we praise You, O God, for the great hope, the great comfort we have as a people of God. The one day the work in us will be finished spiritually, Father, As well, you will give us a glorified, imperishable body. Father, we will never know pain or sickness or sorrow or tears ever again. Father, our minds cannot even comprehend such great, magnificent truths. And so, Father, we accept them. We praise you, O God, for them. Father, I just think especially about those in this very room that are struggling with one issue or another. Health concerns, physical infirmities or frailties. Father, I just pray, I plead with you, O God, that you would bring a measure of comfort to them. Father, help them. Father, encourage them as they continue to pray for healing. But Father, at the same time, we pray that you would give them the faith to accept that whatever you have for them is for their good and for your glory. Father, help us to live with that understanding that everything you take us through, you are taking us indeed through it for our good and for your glory. Father, we pray. We ask you, Lord, for your blessing on our time. Father, we give thanks for this time of worship together in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.